I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Bill. He's a five-time cancer survivor and the author of Up for the Fight, How to Advocate for Yourself as You Battle Cancer. Let's talk about it. Well, this is, uh, is going to be great. We're sitting down with Bill Potts uh, down in Florida, uh, about to watch a SpaceX launch, uh, you know, for, for what, tonight? Tomorrow, tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. That's, uh, that cool. is very rad. Um, uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> Bill, we're, <laughs> here to, we're here to talk about a uh, fuckload of cancer. Uh, Bill, you are, you're, like a, you're like a cancer pro. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an area I wish I wasn't an expert on, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, having cancer uh, five times. Actually, I have a sixth one already, and you know, my cancer uh, is incurable, so I'll have a number seven. But yeah, yeah, over the last twenty years, it's been quite the journey. Wow, twenty years! Holy smokes! Um, well, the the we, you know, we were talking before the recording here, and uh, we were talking about your book, uh, "Up for the Fight: um, How to Advocate for Yourself as You Battle Cancer from a Five Time Survivor." Um, and I was saying to you, Bill, that the 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 book is is it really is like a, a, a massive step-by-step for like everything, anyone coming into, you know, tr- treating and battling cancer, everything that you, you might expect and want to kind of think about going into the process. Um, but before we, before we kind of like break down the book, I would love to hear a little bit about your, just your, your sort of like chronological history of cancer. Um, you, you said 20 years. What, when, did this, when did this all begin? And, and like what was the, what's the origin story to you learning that you, uh, that you were facing, you know, having to fight something like cancer? Yeah, yeah, thank you. I started in 2002. My, my kids were really little. I have twin girls and, uh, and a son, and so they were young. And I went to my doctor, and he looked at me and said, there's a lump on your throat. We need to have that checked out. That turned out to be thyroid cancer. And I had my thyroid removed and I went through radiation ablation treatment, which is the same radiation that was released by Chernobyl, iodine uh, 131. So I got sat pretty good with that. And uh, I thought I was done with the cancer journey, thyroid cancer, pretty beatable. But uh, 2008, I came back from a trip to Europe. Uh, I looked in the mirror to shave and I'm like, ah, damn, I've got a, uh, got a lump below my right ear. And so I went to the doctor and they thought, ah, oh, it's no big deal. Surgically removed it. Turns out it was a big deal. It was uh, uh, lymphoma. Uh, at that point, I shifted my treatment from, uh, from, from Tampa down to uh, MD Anderson in Houston, diagnosed with stage three lymphoma in 2008. I came back in uh, 2014. I came back again in 2019. I came back again in 2020, Ooh, and on top of 2020, I also was diagnosed with prostate cancer. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's been crazy. The book itself wow. is one I, I wish somebody else had written. 
Yeah, and, yeah, no uh, doubt. I could have had it when I started 20 years ago, and and uh, it's it's really the book itself is like what to expect when you're expecting, and so the reason I wrote it was I had this basically emotional meltdown on September 17th, 2020, when I had a surgery to move this rather large tumor from below my right hip. And um, I woke up in the recovery room basically having the breakdown and was crying and sobbing and said, I'm not really sure I'm up for this fight. Mm. And so Jen, the uh, nurse, reaches over, grabs my hand and said, Bill, what's up? And I kind of told her my story and that maybe I didn't want to fight anymore, thus the name up for the fight. She smartly called in a pastor who had been with me before the surgery. There's no family or anything, so just the three of us in the room. And I kind of worked through the reasons why I wanted to fight and continue to fight and, and, and continue to win this battle with cancer. And at the end of this hour conversation, uh, the pastor said, Bill, you ought to write a book and turn your pain to purpose and try to help others <laughs> with your experience. And so uh, I did. I was I was lucky enough to have a publisher that would work with me because I wrote it while I was going through chemotherapy. And it, uh, yeah, uh, um, I had two timetables to write it. I had the timetable if I, with the publisher, if I didn't make it and I had the timetable, if I was going to make it. So I wrote to the, I wasn't going to make it, got fit, got this thing finished early. So I'm anxious to get it out into the market and help others. Wow. Is it, is there a, um, is there like, so three different, three different types of cancer over the 20 years with one of them recurring a couple, two or three times the lymphoma. Mm -hmm. Is there, is there any, do any conversations come up with, uh, with your healthcare team around, you know, why are you, why, why, why so much, why so much cancer? You know, is there a, is there a genetic predisposition to, to something or is it, or is it like leftover cancer cells from from the first go around that end up elsewhere in the body causing issues? Like, do do you have any insight on as to what what like why it recurs so much? Why it happens? Yeah, so much yeah, that, that's a great question, and and yeah, we've done a lot of talking about that and trying to figure it out. Uh, we think it's more environmental versus genetic. Uh, I worked in the department of nuclear medicine. In, uh, in a hospital, you know, during college, so I got zapped uh, pretty good with radiation, and and that's a that's that's a general cause of, yeah. of thyroid cancer, like the people in Eastern Europe had after the meltdown of Chernobyl, and so that that is probably why I got that. And then there's also second and third cancers that come from the radiation treatment right. that I got for the thyroid cancer. So we think it's more that. Uh, versus genetic. And I just happen to have bad luck on the lymphoma. There's 61 different types and my type happens to be one of the types that you can't cure it yet. Mm. Uh, you just keep uh, knocking it back. And, you know, I'm trying to buy time for the treatments to catch up to what I have in the hopes that at some point I'll be able to ring the bell and they'll say, mm. now mm. you're cured. But as mm. it stands right now, uh, there we're just kind of waiting for it to come back. Let, let's talk about that for a minute. Like the, the notion of, of an incurable cancer. Like when I hear that, um, I mean, fuck that. It just sounds so incredibly heavy. Um, you know, something that is, that you've been told is incurable, you know, it's going to come back again and again and again. Um, you know, at the time of writing the book, five time cancer survivor, 
Now, now I, I, I believe you said six time and, and very likely it's, you know, that number's going to keep rising seven time. Um, how does that, you know, how does that have an effect on your, on your overall life? Like, how does that, how does that change the way that you, you live day to day? Yeah, it's, it's fairly dramatic. I mean, aside from the practical piece that you can't get life insurance and health insurance <laughs> can become a challenge, uh, it, 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 it changes how you view the world. I don't really sweat small stuff anymore. Um, you know, I, I, I try to live in the moment. Uh, I try to be grateful, like really living in the moment. Like right now, the only thing that I'm focused on is, you know, this podcast period. And when I'm with my friends, I'm focused on them, family focused on them. If I'm working, I'm focused on work. And it's really helped me be focused. Mm. Uh, also helps me how I allocate my time. I spend my time on things that I want to do and that I think that can add value. So you get asked to volunteer in certain committees, do certain things. If it's not a part of my purpose, which my purpose now is to try to get this book in as many hands as I can. I also have a business that I have to run, but uh, outside of the book, but, uh, if it doesn't fall in that wheelhouse, then I won't do it. Mm. And so it also tightens up who you spend your time with. And, you know, our family would argue that we're probably closer to each other through this journey. That's all my kids know is me going through cancer and it makes those Thanksgiving dinners or those holidays together or those long weekends together, you know, even more important as an example, my son and I went fishing in Key West a few weeks ago, and I probably could have taken more people. And like, who are you going to take with you? I'm like, my son. And they're like, you can take anybody else. You got this big boat. And I'm like, my son. That's who I want to spend time with. And so it does help in those ways. I mean, look, I wish I hadn't had cancer, but if you but if you have it, it sure can change your perspective. And my incurable kind isn't like some people that are incurable that you know they can see the end in sight. I just know that we got to keep it, keep an eye on it, uh, and, and try to keep it uh, from coming back any way we can. But then, when it comes back, be ready for it. It's changed my lifestyle. I eat, my diet is ridiculously clean. You know, mm. I don't smoke. Uh, you know, I, I do all these things to try to you know, keep keep the body as fine tuned as I can. What What do you um what What was that conversation like with the pastor? Because I want to preface this with uh, that I'm not likening this to cancer <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, but I'm renovating a house right now, and uh, <laughs> and uh, and I and glad you clarified. That. <laughs> yeah, and I will and and and, and it, it's it, hard, and it's a lot of DIY stuff. And I'll and I'll and I'll try to do something, and then I'll and then and then I'll I'll hit another problem, and then I'll I'll think that I only have to do this, and then there's another problem, and then I'll tackle that, and then that that brings up another problem. And it re and it, and it, it keeps, it's like one solution leads to a new problem. And I, and I find myself sometimes at the end of the day, just going like, fuck this. And so, okay. and, and, and I'm, and I'm imagining that, that over a, a, such a long period of time, like with the cancer coming back and the fight and you saying that you're laying there and you're going, I, I, I just don't, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm up for this fight. What, 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 what was that conversation with the pastor that, that flipped a switch for you? Mm. Yeah. So she, we actually kind of, she started telling me why she was a pastor, uh, at, I'm, I'm treated now at Mayo Clinic in, uh, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, not actually too far from where I am, but, uh, she kind of told me her story about why she did what she did. And, 
I, I won't share it because it's pretty personal, but it was really resonated with me why she was sitting there with me that day. And, and then she reminded me of, you know, fighting, you know, for my family, you know, fighting for uh, uh, my friends. And, and what flipped the switch for me, and she goes, if you can only do it for one reason, if you forget all those other ones, do it to make God proud. And I'm like, mm. okay. And then she followed it up with, you know, write the book. And I'm like, okay. Mm. And that's how it happened. In terms of um, like the he- hearing you talk about that, that breakdown moment and, and talking to the pastor. Um, it, so my mom had cancer mm. and the thing that um, was the most profound thing that she said to me afterwards, and she's in remission now, but um, she said, that the hardest part was dealing with the emotional toll of going through treatments and, and even recovery now. And so when you, you know, talk about writing the book that you wish that you had access to, I'm curious about like how much is the book focused on that emotional journey that you go through? Because like the, the treatment side of things is like, I mean, they can, you can either do this or do this. And like, sometimes there's gray areas, but like, it's fairly, I mean, you're, you're relying a lot on guidance from your healthcare team to make those types of decisions. But what I heard from my mom was that there was not a lot of guidance or support, um, for her mental health. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious about like for you, it's especially being at that moment of like breakdown, um, like what, yeah, how much of this is about the mental health journey of of cancer diagnosis? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that uh, by the way, your mom's right. Uh the mental and emotional toll is is in many cases harder than the the physical piece of it. Mm-hmm. And your mom still deals with it. You know, I still deal with it. Yeah, I I I, I do touch on uh, that often, uh but I also encourage patients to get help. Um you know, every situation is different. What's really helped me, interestingly, is some Facebook group, a Facebook group that I'm on, where we can kind of we can kind of talk the talk, right? It's hard to know what it's like to be a cancer patient unless you are one. Uh, professional therapy, which you know our families leaned into in a big way to kind of work through those things. You know, uh, uh, you know, I, I dialed in, you know, uh, not not with a pastor there, but with a pastor of another church, and you know, so I had a support group that wasn't my family because what you don't want to do, Brian, and I'm sure you saw it too, your mom tried not to burden you too much with it because you're dealing with her sickness as well. Yeah. And so that piece uh, gets really complicated. And especially Almost to a my, fault though too. Like yeah. I mean, she, there was a long time where she resisted sharing things with me because she was worried about how I would take them. She wanted to sort of project this, you know, like image of a strong fighter while she was going through her cancer treatment. And like, I wanted her to open up to me and say, Hey, I'm, I'm struggling today and it's okay. Like I wanted her to know that it was okay to tell me those things so that I could help her shoulder some of that weight and burden. But I I mean, I know as a parent yourself, I'm sure that you can imagine that you don't, you don't want to burden your kids with the weight of that things. But like, I don't know. It's just like, feels like this fine dance of like, like sharing, not oversharing, sharing as much as you feel comfortable at like, how did you manage, how did you manage that? 
Uh, yeah. How, how, how did, did your mom open up to you? Um, eventually um, when I went to her, but I had some help from like these guys and, and, yeah. and my friends to approach her to ask the questions, to get her to talk about it a little bit. And, and once we did, it created, it created this opportunity for that dialogue to exist. Um, but before that, there was like, she was very much wanted to just hold back and not tell me, like she would tell me she was going to appointments but she wouldn't talk about what was talked about at those appointments type of thing. Uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it, for my family, it really depended on their age. You know, I started off these, my, my girls were little tykes and so they didn't really understand. Right. And yeah. as they grew up and went through elementary school and middle school and high school, um, I still kind of kept a lot of it from them. Um, you know, they knew what I was doing and knew what I was going through. Uh, there's, there's, it's in the book. My daughter wrote this piece that I came home from Houston to Tampa from treatment. And I just sat in a chair and I cried and she's like, what the heck? You know, she Mm -hmm. didn't see that kind of breakdown too often, but then, uh, starting in in 14 and then 19 and 20, especially this last one has been full disclosure with them. I mean, they're old enough. They're in their twenties now that they can, uh, they can get their hands around it. I answer any questions that they ask. I don't always fully share it, but uh, they always know what I'm going in through and, and what I'm going through. But uh, like your mom was with you, um, I'm still not always full disclosure with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even my wife, because you try to protect them. I think the people that understand what I went through the most, interestingly, as the book publisher, because I had an mm-hmm. editor kind of almost on call and I was writing it, going through it. And so they got the kind of the uncut, unfiltered, uncensored mm-hmm. version Whereas with my, with everybody, you know, kind of try to put on this front, you know, I didn't want to be identified as the cancer guy, ironic, since now I wrote a book, that's <laughs> what I'll be known for. Uh, it's not something I really like to talk about. Your mom was probably the same way. It's just not something you even want to talk about. Totally. How do you, like, yeah. how do you, do you, yeah. like in, in saying that out loud to us right now about how you don't. Like you, 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 even, even 20 years later, you still kind of, um, hold on to some things or, or, or hide some things from your family because you, you feel as though you're, you're trying to protect them. Do you, do you think about that very much? Like, like, how do you, like in saying that out loud, do you feel like that is, um, um, and I'm not, I'm not like challenging you on this. I'm just mm-hmm. purely yeah, curious. Like, do you, do you think that that's, uh, beneficial to them? Do you think uh, you that know, that's like the, the right way to go about it? Oh, you know, I think it depends on the kids. And, and, and you know, I, I try to test drive some conversations and see kind of how they go, mm. uh, you know, by by kid. Um, I, you know, it, each kid is different. With my wife, it's different. But it's like the one of the I joke about it, but there's uh, they don't particularly want to hear or talk too much about it themselves. So yeah. they, they, they use outside sources other than me to talk about it. And mm. so we make sure that they have those available. Mm. Uh, but it's a real conundrum, right? Mm. And it, it also goes with your friends. You know, what do you say? I mean, yeah. you know, your casual friends, I just tell them I'm, I'm, I feel I'm okay. And then my good friends will say, how are you really, really feeling? And I'm like, you're terrible. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, there's days, there's days still that kind of catch me by surprise. You know, I've been out at, chemo for 16 months, I'm still dealing with the immunocompromised piece, but, um, 
so there's still days that I just wake up and I'm like, yeah, I just don't really want to talk to anybody. Yeah. And I just kind of want to be by myself. So it's like a roller coaster. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah Jerry, I don't, I don't, I don't know that there's a right answer to that question. Yeah. I think and, it's so dependent. And the reason I, the reason I felt the need to ask that is because I, although our, our situations are very different, um, it, that, that resonates a lot with me. You know, like there's, there, there are times where, you know, uh, for myself, like things don't feel great. And, and, it, and in, in turn, that comes with a bunch of like mental fuckery that I have to deal with uh, mm-hmm. in my own head. And, and there's almost this sense of like not wanting to burden my, my close, you know, my loved ones, my, my friends, my family with like the shit that I'm going through. Um, but when I think about it, you know, when I get out of that space and I look back at what I've, I've been through and I think about it, I'm like, ah, maybe, you know, maybe that, maybe that would have been helpful for me, you know, to, to actually, um, to actually broach that subject that whatever it was that I was, I was finding challenging. Um, I feel like there's, there's two aspects to it though. Like one is, one is about creating space for your loved ones to be able to ask the questions like when, so like, so like even if my mom was to me said, um, Hey, listen, like, you know, obviously I'm going through this really challenging experience right now. And I want you to know that if you have any questions, I'm here, I'm, uh, I'm here to talk to you about it. If, Mm -hmm. if you need me to at least create that, that space. But the second thing is, is so Jared mentioned this to you earlier today, but like, I feel like at this point in my my life right now, like in the last couple of months, I've been um, going, getting closer and closer to burnout um, mm-hmm. to a point where I last night I went on a like a little uh, camping trip with my girlfriend for the night just to get out of town, and I was walking through this like nice path at sunset, and like I was looking at out to this the the scenery, and I was thinking like, whoa, it's so nice out right now, like it's so beautiful, but I rationally, like I could, I could look and see that rationally it was, but I, I didn't feel anything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I'm like, I'm in a depression. Like I'm, I'm like very close to burning out. And so I, I, I said it to her. I was like, Hey, listen, I want you to know, like, like I can appreciate that we're in this spot right now and I want to feel this, but like all of these things that I've overcommitted to in my life and this point that I'm in, I'm like, I'm so close to burning out. Like I feel like my brain is like seconds away from just shutting off. Mm. And she was like, what can I do to support you? Like what I want to, I want to be there for you. And I was like, it's for me right now, just letting you know that I'm in this place and having you know that Mm. is you being there for me. You don't have to say anything. Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk about it. Like I definitely don't want to talk about it. Because I'm like just hanging on enough as it is, but like putting it out there and having you know, so that like, you know, if I'm on edge or if I'm not being the best version of myself because this like overbearing or like oh, this this weight is on my shoulders right now, at least you know why. Like at least, and it's it's not an excuse to be a shitty person or like mm. it's just like hey, like I'm this is where I'm at right now, and and telling you makes me feel you know, a little bit better. Mm. And that's all you need to do. I think to that's, that's like, that's like the minimum amount required to like keep, to keep both. Cause you're in a relationship. And so, and, and, you know, with you and your family, Bill and your, and your, your, your children and stuff, like 
there's a responsibility on everybody's part to like nurture and everything, even though you're in a space <clears throat> where like that's really challenging to do because you're feeling the way that you're feeling, mm. but to just like throw that out there mm. and not for, need her to do anything or to like over explain or mm. really dive into it, but just to say, Hey, this is what's up. Now, you know, now there's just like, mm. there's some degree of understanding. And I know you said like, not an excuse to be a shitty person, but like, yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 and that's the thing, like, I think with, with talking to people about hard things that are like the closest people to you, like your partners or your children or your family is like, it's not a one, there isn't like a one size fits all no. yeah. uh, way to put it to somebody. And there are definitely people in your life where you can be like, where you can have a sort of like take it or leave it attitude. But a lot of times your family is not aren't the it don't fall into that category yeah. and you have to sort of you do and it's an unfortunate i think burden that people who are going through anything mental physical illness cancer depression whatever it's like a a a a, a byproduct a, a burdensome byproduct of that is the communication that has to come mm -hmm. with it mm -hmm. to to help the people around you understand that what you're going through, or at least that you're going through something that is challenging. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm DeLon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Bill, I, I would love to I would love to kind of dive into the subject of like... Um, you know, being an, an immunocompromised person uh, during a global pandemic. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Uh, you know, you're navigating this uh, this this cancer and and being someone who is immunocompromised at a time that is um, obviously much harder um, than it than it probably ever has been in any of our lifetimes due to COVID. Um, and on top of that, you're, you're living in Florida, which, which I think that's just like, that's a whole, that's a whole fucking wild state when it comes to COVID. Um, what, what has that been like for you? Like how, how has that, uh, what has that struggle been like? It's been dramatically difficult. Um, yeah, yeah. you know, I was diagnosed, had surgery September 17th, 2020, right in the middle of, oh. uh, the early stages of the pandemic. Uh, when I started chemotherapy, the data that came out uh, later was that my chance of surviving COVID was 45% at that time. So I couldn't get COVID because they didn't have treatments, didn't have vaccines, they didn't have enough masks at that point. So it forces you to run a little bit scared. And, and that kind of has continued uh, for me, especially as the world changes, but my immune system doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so it's really, it's kind of lonely mm -hmm. because, you know, I'm really a people person and 
I don't get to see many people. And if I see them, it's sitting outside on the patio or it's uh, outside at the park. And it's not like I'm living anywhere close to the life I was living before. I'm not complaining, uh, but that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. It's forced me to change, you know, everything. Uh, You know, like here I am by myself, you know, until my wife joins me at Satellite Beach and what do I do for dinner? Right. And uh, I can't go into the grocery store. Okay. I can use Instacart, can't go into a restaurant. I could use Uber Eats, but those types of decisions, you know, get kind of complicated. I've also, it's forced me to really advocate for myself and I am way on top of uh, all the trends. I mean, when the vaccines came out and everybody's getting the vaccines, I'm literally on the phone calling my friends saying, this has this this isn't scientifically proved, but I am telling you that you know you're going through cancer treatment and your particular type of chemo is knocking down your immune system. You might not be getting protection mm. from from the vaccine. They're like, what? And I'm like, believe me, you know, and go get your antibodies tested and do those types of things. And and for me, you know, I I was I was managing my own dance with COVID. Um, and so I'm finding this nose spray that's made in Israel that's not approved by, you know, the U.S. or Canadian governments yet, and, and I'm using that. I am literally on top of the FDA's approval of this drug called Evushel by AstraZeneca, which is convalescent plasma for made for people like me oh, wow. uh, that, uh, that uh, to protect us from COVID. And, you know, the day it comes out is the day I'm, I'm networking everybody I know to find out where it's available. And I found it at this little hospital, rural hospital in Ocala, Florida, but uh, it worked out. And so I am on top of all those things. I could tell you the trends with BA4, with BA5. I can tell you the risk. I have to know them yeah, because right. I have to manage my life that way. Um, so, yeah, it's it is a continuing challenge until my immune system comes back and and, and they don't know when that's going to happen. Yeah. You know, I thought it would happen by now. So I go in six months after my chemo and I get those results and I'm like, Oh, another six months. And I go back again. And I'm like, Oh, I keep yeah. having to reset, you know, what I do, but I'm starting to find some workarounds. Like, so, uh, for father's day, I had to see top gun Maverick. Had to see yeah, it, right? Of course. <laughs> They rented the whole theater for me. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. Fuck so yeah. I got, I got this giant screen and me, That's awesome. my three kids, yeah, and my man. wife, and as much food as I could eat. And a and, thousand uh, speakers. So, oh, my gosh. It was un- unbelievable. And, you know, they said you can go you – can, you can change seats as many times as you want during the movie. I plastered myself right in front of that screen, oh, and I didn't yeah. budge. But so there's some workarounds, you know, for it um, to try to avoid people. But, yeah, it's, it's – pretty- uh, I, I would love to. Can, can you tell us about this n- uh, nasal spray? Yeah, it's called Enovid, E-N-O-V-I-D. It's, uh, it's made out of Israel, and it's, uh, it's going to be, if, if not, this, this delivery vehicle at some point is going to become a, a, a more common uh, delivery vehicle to, uh, to handle uh, respiratory illnesses, in particular respiratory viruses. Mm. So it uses some some common scientific thing. I, I actually, I had some, I took some today because I had to be around some people, even though it's outside and, uh, yeah, we'll see how it works. Huh, it says it, it, it has high, it has high uh, numbers of, of effectiveness on their bottle, but I don't want to test it. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's pretty crazy to, to think just to, to put, to put myself in the mindset of like, like what I'm, when I hear you talk about the way that 
you kind of have to navigate living your life and, and, and how you, and like the social and public aspect of your life in, in regards to COVID. Like it, it reminds me of just how I felt about, about COVID like in March of 2020 mm-hmm. when we, you know, when, when nobody on earth knew anything and I, you know, I, I've said this on the podcast a bunch of times, so I won't go through the story, but I was trying to get out of Ecuador in March, 2020. Oh, wow. And wow. we landed, we came from Galapagos to the mainland and we landed in this massive city and it was like, you know, there was military and it, it really did seem like it was the end of the world. And I remember mm-hmm. being, being like, is this going to kill everybody? Like, and, and just yeah. having that fear of like, you have no idea what's going to happen. And, and, and then over time, as we learned and stuff like that, you know, that sentiment obviously changed over time. And, you know, I don't live with an immune, I don't live with an immune system that's compromised. So things change, but it almost, it seems like that sort of mentality of that, that just that massive question mark just never goes away, just never went away for, for you in the situation that you find yourself in with, with your, with your cancer treatment, which is, I, I mean, just like an incredible burden. And, and it, it kind of reminds me of what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation where like, did you ever find yourself through the last couple of years coming up against like, just like problem after problem after problem where you're just like, Oh my God, I just don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. this is just, this is just too much. Yeah. You know, it's on the COVID side. It's, it's such an interesting question because, you know, I just keep getting this moved, you know, further out in the future. So I keep having to reset kind of where I am. And, so, and somebody did ask me, you know, what, what point are you just going to go out there and live? And I'm like, when I have some protection or when the treatments, you know, are better. So my risk now is greatly diminished because mm. of Paxlovid and right, Lovimab, right. all these drugs that I have to know about because of my situation, you know, and, and, I, and I've got pretty good beads of where ideas where I could get them. But uh, I'm still not willing to risk it. So far, you know, I've been able to avoid COVID. This current wave, I'm not so sure about because it's so contagious. Mm-hmm. And I've always told my family, it's going to walk in the front door. Mm-hmm. And uh, with one of you guys or with the plumber or with the AC guy, every time one of those things would, uh, something would break and we'd have people over, I'm like, oh, you know, I, I would go out. We have a garage apartment. I'd go hang out there. We had this uh, air purification system installed in our house that they use in hospitals. It's called the oh. Remy Halo. Whoa. And it huh. kills airborne viruses and things like that. So we crank down the AC. It's always hot in Florida, basically. So we always run the AC. But uh, so that thing's blowing when they're coming. And uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But uh, I do think now if I get COVID, um, I've got a pretty good shot at beating it. But when you yeah. think about that, a pretty good shot, it keeps you operating pretty safely. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Don't. I, I would love to, I would love to dive into uh, some of the subject subject matter in the book. Uh, again, folks, the book is up for the fight um, and it is, uh, it's available for pre-order right now. Um, and the book is coming on sale uh, globally on uh, September 13th. Um, hey, that's my mom's birthday. Nice, good timing. Wow. There you go. Wow. Uh, you know, perfect. you celebrate those. You celebrate them uh, more now, don't you? Definitely. Yeah, yeah. you get a little I mean, birthday it, gift right here, Brad. It's mm-hmm. a real, it's a real accomplishment. And uh, gift, congrats actually. to her. 
Yeah. Um, the the first thing I wanted to talk about uh, is I, there's there's so many great quotes in the book, but uh, one that I really enjoyed was "Being in the cancer club is expensive," <laughs> uh, which which comes from the yeah, chapter yeah. all about the business of cancer, and and this is actually not really something that we've we've talked about cancer a lot on the podcast, but we ha- we haven't ever really touched on the subject of like what it means to financially um, face something like a cancer diagnosis. And, and, and I know that this is something that would be very different for, for many, many people, depending on their situation, where they live, you know, what country they're in, what have you. But um, can we talk a little bit about the, and, and maybe even specifically to your experience with it, what, what, what made your, um, your battle with cancer something that was um, financially a bit, of a, a bit of a stressor? Yeah, so it really depends where you live. You know, I, I've been fortunate uh, to have pretty good insurance, but in the U.S., you know, pretty good insurance still means, you know, uh, many cases high deductibles, uh, you know, high uh, co-pays. So it's and then now, you know, I can't get it very easily, so I pay a premium to get insurance. So that piece of it varies by country. But if you take out the insurance piece, which in the U.S. is a huge deal. Uh, you know, in the U.S., uh, a good chunk of cancer patients, you know, have financial issues. But uh, it's the other things. Like for my, my situation, it's, you know, I travel uh, to my cancer treatment. I traveled in one two-year period. I traveled. I flew 23 times to uh, Houston for treatment from Tampa. You got to have a place to stay. You got to eat. You got to take time off from work. You have those types of things that, that are expensive now that with the immunocompromise, I can't fly. So I go to, I drive four hours, you know, to the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville. I should just get an apartment there. I'm there so often. Mm-hmm. So you have the housing, uh, food, uh, travel are all big deals, let alone, you know, a lot of people have to give up work. Maybe you can get short-term disability, things like that. But, you know, in many cases, you have impacts on work promotions, those types of things that might not happen because, you know, you're, you're not well. So it, uh, you know, you could, you could even add in there, you know, the difference in diet and stuff like that. Yeah. But, uh, also know, depends me, on the, sorry, just yeah. to add there, the, like, so my mom, where there's yeah. public healthcare here, I, I, her, I, this is the first thing I thought about when I read this chapter. Yeah. That's the first thing I thought of when you said this is that she has to pay, out of pocket now for supplies like cath. Mm. So she oh. now urinates through, she had bladder cancer. She now, mm. and she has a, uh, it's called an Indiana poach. And so she has to self catheterize, mm. um, like five or six times a day. Sounds way cooler and, than it is. And, uh, Indiana and pouch. catheters are like, they're like something like $150 a week. Jesus Christ. And, yeah. and that's not, none of it's covered, um, here at all and my mom can't get insurance to cover that or anything so mm. yeah it's incredibly expensive yeah. for for depending on the cancer you get and depending on the operations you have you may ne- now need supplies for the rest of your life that you're paying for out of pocket yeah and you mentioned bill like you're you know you're on a you're, you're on you have a super clean diet because you want to because you know you you've you've got a compromised immune system you've got a cancer diagnosis you want to keep your body in as tip-top shape as it can possibly be and with all the factors that you can control mm-hmm. and a clean diet is an expensive diet yeah you know yeah. Uh, yeah that stuff doesn't come that doesn't that stuff doesn't come come cheap and like just like yeah the peripheral the I think I think um, I think uh, what I what kind of drives home a, uh, most to me is like a lot of the peripheral stuff that that you would that you really wouldn't think too much about. You know, I think I think a lot of people think, um, oh, if you have insurance, 
okay. If you if you live in Canada or <laughs> you live somewhere with a with a public health care system, okay, you're good. And then, but it's all the plus 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 mm-hmm. plus plus stuff that you wouldn't really that would that doesn't jump to mind immediately. That 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 really uh, accumulates. Yeah. The the I other. Mean, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, like another peripheral one would be clothes, right? Uh, I don't know how your mom was, uh, Brian, but, you know, I, I, I put on the pounds because I couldn't exercise and all the steroids were, you know, uh, uh, making me gain a lot of weight. Then, then you lose weight, you gain weight. I mean, another peripheral one, clothes. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, on true. top of that, and I guess, you know, th- this um, this is a whole different subject on its own, but but I, I think this kind of ties into the the uh, <clears throat> financial aspect of it, but another another part of your book kind of covers the the things to think about and consider when travel has to be a part of your cancer routine and your treatment. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like what your um, your experience was in travel? I know that you were doing a lot of uh, a lot of trips to Houston uh, to to manage your your cancer. Um, what, what was the what's the travel in, in, involved in in cancer treatment for you personally? Yeah, you know, it's it's when I was being treated in Houston pre-pandemic, I was uh, I I I was keeping my cancer a secret from my work largely. So I would work, uh, I'd leave on a Thursday night and travel down to Houston and uh, do my treatment on Friday, try to recover on Saturday and fly back on Sunday and be back in the work on Monday. But I had uh, I, I, a lot of times I stayed with family. If I couldn't stay with family, I had family there that then moved. Uh, I'd stay at a I'd stay at a hotel that's uh, owned by or managed next to MD Anderson Cancer Clinic, and I'd stay there and kind of walk across the street. But what I what I what what I like even better now is that I can drive. It's a four hour drive from where I live to uh, to Jacksonville. Makes things so much easier. I couldn't have flown anyway, but uh, it's 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 just one more element you got to deal with, you know, you got to, for example, I had to change hotels because I'm going through chemo and I'm, I was staying at a hotel on the beach because I wanted to be on the beach and it was winter. So it was easy to get a room. And as my treatment stretched into, into spring, all of a sudden it was full of families, mm. not worried about COVID. I literally had to move hotels mm. and, I, and I go to hotels where I can check in without going to the front desk. I check in on a low floor so I can, you know, go straight to the floor, taking the, taking the stairs um, you know, I have to bring my own food because I can't go to a restaurant or I go through a drive through if I, if I, if I can. Uh, so the travel is, can be a significant burden for many, because even though you can use the cancer card to try to get a better deal, you still got to pay, you still got to pay for where you're staying. Mm, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> another, another quote that I, I really liked, um, in your book and, and I actually, you know, it, it like, this the this quote reminded me of our friend Brandon who passed away from cancer a couple of years ago now. Um, uh, the, the quote was, it's more than just getting your affairs in order. It is important to get your head and heart in order too. And um, I think, you know, what, you, what you're alluding to in that is that obviously when you have a cancer diagnosis, the the reality of a shortened life expectancy is very front and center and your death um, for some is very like imminent. And for some people, you know, uh, getting your affairs in order is things like um, 
you know, filling out the legal papers like a, a, an advanced directive or, or a will or, the, you know, the things that you want to see happen uh, when you die so that, you know, it doesn't just leave like this fucking wake of destruction in front of, you know, your, your loved ones after you've passed. Um, but also this notion of like getting your head and your heart in order to like not, not denying the fact that your death could be coming quite quick and like being very realistic about the fact that, you know, uh, you, regardless of what happens, we're all going to die. Um, what was, what was that like for you? I mean, you're still here, you know, you've done it five times now coming up on six. What does it look like for you to get your, your head and your heart in the game of knowing that, you know, uh, several months down the road, this could be it. Yeah, that's, it's taken me a long time to get there. You know, I, I, I write that's important because I didn't, um, you know, I was kind of in denial for a lot of it. I just assumed I would beat it. And, uh, these last, you know, couple of years have really reminded me that I, I should have known better in 2008. You know, I had a near death experience going through treatment and, and, and I should have gotten my head better around it, but I tried to avoid it. So kind of my advice in the book is you, you really need to do take the steps that you need to get your head around and your heart around the fact that, you know, that, that could be the end. Everybody handles it differently. My faith is a big part of it. And so, uh, that's really, really helped me, uh, talking through it, uh, with, with my wife and my kids uh, on that particular side has been pretty healthy. I still don't think that my kids really get it. I think they're starting to get it. I had a close friend of mine, like, like your Brandon, you know, pass away uh, about a month ago. And this is somebody that I was kind of going through the journey together, uh, a very, very close uh, uh, friend. And, and it, it really hit the kids really hard because they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, that could have been, you know, my dad. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, everybody deals with it in a different way. But the one thing that I strongly recommend is that you don't do like I did and avoid it, that you really deal with it. And if that means getting some outside help to talk through those things, you have to do it. Mm-hmm. Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to be surprised and kind of get towards the end and go, oh, my gosh, you know, I wish I had thought through this before. In addition to the, to the business side of it, like you talked about, the advanced directives, the wills. I have a just-in-case file that I hope my kids and wife never have to read. That is the file that you only open if I pass away. And that's the stuff that I want to share with them to make sure that they know about, which some of it's like how to handle my social media accounts, you know, what to do with my stuff, the type of funeral I want, and then some words of wisdom to each of them. Mm. Um, and, and I just hope that they never have to reach for that file. But that's probably given me the most peace is that, uh, I've talked about it with them and then worst case happens, they can pull the file. It's something my dad did for me too. And, mm. and then I, I know how to manage, they know how to manage things. And, uh, also that takes a big burden off my wife. What, what does that look like? Your, uh, specifically your social media file or your social media accounts. Like, how, like, how do you, how do you want them to, uh, to manage those after, after you're gone? 
Yeah, I, I, that'll be up to them, really. But uh, yeah, I gave them access to it. I've got legacy stuff set up, you know, where you can, like on Facebook. And, you know, what I've, I just had this conversation, just had this conversation uh, <laughs> with my wife. Your question is perfect timing. I don't want to, to be much. I'd rather just, you know, he's gone. Here's the lessons, move on. I don't want a lot of drama around it. And, uh, you know, want, them not to be worrying about posting about me, but to worry about what do they do? Mm. What's the next steps for them? I've never thought about that, but, but, uh, just now in you saying that it's making me f- think about like all of the, um, fucking dark, dark, darkly hilarious things that I could have my loved ones do with my social media when I'm gone. You yeah. Know, like just, yeah. just, just a bunch you of weird honestly, cryptic posts. That but, but seriously, dude, you should write something for us because I yeah, don't want totally. to have to sit here yeah, and yeah, think yeah. about the words yeah, you don't to, to use to describe oh, how yeah. beautiful and fulfilling your life was. Dude, yeah. I'm going to sell your Instagram account to a Bitcoin scammer. <laughs> uh, I get yeah, I'll take 50% of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just turn my turn my account into an OnlyFans account. <laughs> um, wow. Bill, um, I I, I, one thing that I, w- I would love to know um, before we, we wrap here is, um, you know, if, if we, have a, we have a lot of listeners out there that are either past cancer survivors or are currently going through uh, the battle right now. What is, what's one thing that you would really love to see people take away from the book uh, if, if they got their hands on it? Yeah, there's 18 million people worldwide diagnosed with cancer, 1.8 million in the U.S. each year, you know, a quarter of a million, you know, in Canada. So there's a lot of people that would really benefit from this book. If the one thing they could take away from it, the one thing would be to own your cancer journey uh, because your life depends on it. And what that means is it's yours. It's not your doctor's. You need to do your homework. You need to be involved every step of the way. Mm. You need to treat it like a job. You need to study. You need to take notes. Uh, you need to study at the right sources, not just Google it. Uh, that's a whole nother conversation. But yeah. you own it uh, because you have to. It's your life. And by the way, the doctors that I deal with, they love this, right? They love an educated patient. My first chemo uh, treatment uh, that was prescribed to me by MD Anderson in Houston for my stage three lymphoma, I turned it down and they're like, well, like, what, what the heck? Like, and I'm like, no, I don't want it. They're like, why? I said, because I'm going to lose my hair. And they're like, you're really going to turn down life-saving treatment because you don't want to lose your hair. I'm like, yes, I'm owning my journey. I'm in sales. I can't go on sales calls looking like the sick cancer guy. I guess I could, but uh, I didn't want to. And they're like, okay. And so they said, give us a couple hours. They took it as a challenge, came back, and they said, look, in 2008, you know, they said, nobody's ever heard of this. There's this thing called immunotherapy that we're trying out. One of the doctors here is, you know, doing a clinical trial for your particular type of cancer. And let's give that a shot because you won't lose your hair. We don't know if it works, but if it doesn't work, we'll throw you back at the original, uh, mm. you know, uh, uh, chemo that we, we prescribed for you. And, and that was kind of an eye-opener. And the eye-opener was I can own it. They're not going to be offended by it. And by owning it, you know, they can make changes that uh, can work for the patient. And, and, I, and I did that same immunotherapy uh, three different times mm-hmm. for lymphoma. Wow. And that, that, now the cancer smartened up 
you know, now they're throwing everything but the kitchen sink at it. Yeah. So it's a different, different kind of treatment. Mm-hmm. I do have immunotherapy plus chemotherapy, but, uh, you know, you got to own it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and to that point, I, chapter 11 is, is all about managing side effects. And, and one of the things that really stuck out mm-hmm. to me in this chapter was not just considering the side effects of the treatments that you're looking at, but like also really digging into and being very, very aware of the side effects of the medications or the treatments that you'll be taking pre-treatment or post-treatment, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and I feel like that's probably something that, I don't know, I don't know, but, but, it, but for myself, I, w- I would almost guarantee you that that's not something that I would consider. I, I would only be looking at like, okay, I'm looking at chemo. What does that mean? What's that going to mm-hmm. feel like? What am, like, how am I going to react? But I wouldn't be thinking about all the meds that I need to be taking to manage the chemo or the meds that I need to take pre-chemo or post-chemo. Like, what does that look like? And, and I think, you know, again, coming back to the book, Up for the Fight, like, it, it re- like really, this, it, it's not a very big book, but there's, it's jam-packed with things that I feel like um, a lot of cancer patients may be coming into cancer for their very first time, like really would not be considering. Like we've talked about this a thousand times. Like when we got into podcasting, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. You know, like no one told us how to fucking do this. If only we had a book like this, <laughs> that was like, here's how to podcast. It would have made it so much easier. And, Let's and write it. Like, yeah, we should, yeah. Um, but uh, up for the recording. Um, but really, like, really, Bill, you, you've, got, you've got a book here that I think really could change, change a lot of lives um, of people who are coming into something that is extraordinarily scary. Mm-hmm. And, and extraordinarily overwhelming. And this book is, is going to make that experience a, a little bit less scary and a little bit less overwhelming. And uh, I commend you for it. I think you've, you've done a really, really bang up job. Uh, thank you. I had a lot of help. I call it our book. Uh, my editor and the publisher were very involved in every step of the way. And uh, we, made it, we made it the size it is. It's a paperback. It's, it's small size so people can carry it with them. And uh, if your listeners have any friends or family that are going through the journey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% confident that it'll, it'll help them in some way. It'll help mm-hmm. each person in different ways. But uh, it's kind of the guidebook that they need to be reviewing so they're not surprised like I was by the things that happen. Mm-hmm. I, I did have, I know that we're uh, getting pretty close to wrapping here. And that was really, that you just put a bow on the whole conversation. But I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't ask about the near-death experience that you brought up from 2008. Um, you mentioned that you had a near-death experience. Can you just, uh, I feel like I, uh, like the listeners are probably listening and like, what the fuck was a near-death experience? <laughs> Can you tell us what that was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, uh, it's so funny. I was having my first chemo <clears throat> for the lymphoma and, and I hadn't done my homework. So I didn't really know what to expect. It's hard for the doctors to lay out what your reaction is going to be because they don't know. And so the particular uh, drug, it was an immunotherapy drug uh, that I was getting, is, is made out of hamster embryos. Cool. Whoa. Unbeknownst to me, I'm allergic to hamsters. Oh, no. Oh, no. Unbeknownst to anybody. So wow. this is all high-tech, private room, computerized IV machines, high-touch nurses keeping an eye on you. I'm alarmed up. The first hour of the chemo, my first, uh, immunotherapy goes goes great. My wife leaves the hospital room to go call everybody to tell her, tell everybody like, this is going great. The moment she walks out the door, 
the computer turns up the uh, the rate that I'm getting the uh, the the infusion, and I have the anaphylactic reaction. Oh my god! And all of a sudden, the heart rate's through the roof. You can't breathe. You know, your your eye can't see. Your eyes swell shut. You oh. get hives, and uh, they're on it. And so the alarms go off. They come running in. They inject me with and whatever, and uh, straight into the IV, and, and, and they solve the problem, turn off the infusion. And that was, that was, Brian, the first time I really realized the seriousness of what I was going through. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because uh, treatment, inf- immunotherapy and chemotherapy, it, there's, there's times when the treatment's uh, life-threatening, and yeah, you man. have to be aware of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bill I mean, they have. Yeah. Oh no, they, they and they they know. I mean, they have uh, crash carts. They have codes. They have alarms. I I know what all those mean now because I've been in there in the hospital yeah. enough. Mm. But uh, you know, it's they're there to manage them. But uh, you just gotta yeah. not be surprised if it happens like yeah. I was the first time. I um I I I connect with what you said and you and you said earlier too about talking to your kids about it and and um I think you mentioned something around like I, I'm not sure if they really get like the the gravity of the or got the gravity of the situation at the time and um I'm not sure if I'm I'm, I'm quoting that right but but like I remember feeling that way with my mom's cancer like mm. I understand the serious of it seriousness of it but she's here and she's here with me now. And I just feel like, I, I feel like maybe we all get this sort of like, whether it's the ego or this sort of like, I think sometimes it's referred to like main, main character syndrome where you like, you're the main character in your life. And so the characters in your story that are, that are closest to you, you want to imagine that they're going to overcome any obstacles that are put in front of them. And and the the first time that that really broke for me was when we lost our friend Brandon mm-hmm. to to cancer, and I was like, "Oh fuck, not everybody does make it, and you will lose people yeah. close to you." So, um, like that moment of like realizing the gravity of the situation for you, I, I like I feel like I feel that to some extent in my life, and then that that in turn has made me think of my mom's own experience in a mm-hmm. more serious way where I feel like now I can understand that like, you know, she could go to her, her, uh, tests and, and like checkups and someday find that it's back. Mm. And that's a very real possibility. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, for now she's good, but <laughs> it yeah, could, it's, it's, it uh, what, what she'll, what she probably finds, she may not tell you, but going to those checkups becomes harder not easier, right? Mm. Uh, there's times I don't even want to walk in the door to get the scan that says, is the cancer still gone? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a heavy, it's a heavy time for your mom. I mean, the night before she'll probably, the day before she'll probably get quiet. You know, if somebody takes her, it's literally hard to get out of the car and walk in because Mm. the stakes are so high. Mm. Bill, uh, last two-part question here before you wrap. Uh, what is the biggest thing that your cancer has taken away from you? Wow. Uh, wow. It's, it's taken away a lot of time uh, from my friends, you know, from my family. That's taken away huge chunks of time where I just couldn't be around anybody. What's the biggest thing that it's given you? Uh, gratefulness uh, for each day. Uh, that's it. I'm just grateful and thankful and try to live in the moment. I don't know what if I would have had that otherwise. 
Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, we're we're going to wrap, but uh, one, one last thing that I, I think I, I should probably put out here because I don't think you guys realize this, but uh, Bill's an Ironman athlete. Oh, oh cool. sweet. Yeah. <clears throat> this guy ain't fucking around. Awesome. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's the healthy, active lifestyle. I, I raced Ironman Texas three years after my stage three lymphoma. And, <laughs> and, I, and, and I was trying to prove to my kids that anything is possible. Yeah. That if you, and also to my medical care team, I actually came to the race. And I finished at 841 uh, that night after starting at 7 a.m. So 13 hours, 41 minutes is quite a day. <laughs> but uh, it was really meant to make a statement to them. Uh, and also a statement to myself that I mm. beat this thing and I continue to exercise because that's my therapy. Uh, also continue to exercise, uh, really, uh, tailor your point to make sure I'm ready for when the cancer's back. Yeah. Mm. Point proven. I'm re- I'm very much into one of those three sports. Well, which one? Cycling. Oh, isn't it awesome? Yeah. Intensely, intensely yeah. into it. Yeah. Yeah. How far, <laughs> how far are you riding? Um, like a long, like a long, long ride would be like 150. Oh, oh, 150 that's awesome, dude. kilometers, kilometers. That's you're, not, probably, that's awesome. miles. you're probably thinking, you're probably thinking of miles, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is like kilometers. what, like a thousand five hundred kilometers. Again, folks up for the fight, how to advocate for yourself as you battle cancer from a five time cancer survivor by Bill C. Potts pre-order available. Now uh, the book is coming on sale September 13th. Again, like I highly suggest you go out, grab a copy of this book if this is something that resonates with you. Uh, Bill, you're you're great, dude. This was this was such a fun Uh, conversation. So uh, glad to have had you you on the show. And it really does mean a lot. Thank you so much. Yeah, Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate you. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And, of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.